Hey, what's up? My name's Alex and this is my podcast, Alex Listens. This is the place where me, sometimes by myself, other times with other people, uh, talk about things like philosophy and identity and politics and identity politics and race and psychology and that kind of stuff. Um, Yeah, a bit about me. I'm 23. uh, That's all. Um, So maybe um maybe this is your first time listening to the podcast in which case um i hope it's not jarring it probably won't be i think my podcast you can just kind of listen to it whenever um but if you're a repeat listener hey thanks for listening um i just wanted to take a second to say it's really cool that people are engaging with it it really means a lot to me um and i feel really grateful to have some semblance of a community around this um i feel like i can ask people things on instagram that's my main social media platform um for the podcast so go follow it if you're not um yeah and people respond um and i would encourage you to keep uh getting in contact with me um someone yesterday sent me a really beautiful email um and they had kind of taken notes on a few episodes and sent their thoughts through and i'm just getting around to replying to that um so thank you to that person um yeah so if you're enjoying the podcast um there are a number of ways you can support it. I guess I don't do ads um, and I won't I won't have ads. Um, I have like, I guess I rely on the listeners to help me kind of afford to run this podcast. So I use Patreon. Um, there'll be a link below. You know, you pledge whatever you want each month um, or PayPal. There's a link on my website to that. My website is www.alex.co. Um, Otherwise, yeah, just like, you know, it'd be cool if you could share one of the, uh, one of my posts on Instagram or something on your story or tell a few friends or, um, leave a review on iTunes. That would all be great. Anyway, um, that's enough. That's enough of that. Um, today's episode is about philosophy and it's about, um, an essay but not really it's not really about an essay but it is about an essay so the essay is by peter singer um and if that makes you want to switch this episode off please don't because um this is the side to him that is uh extremely extremely important um in terms of configuring morality and thinking about how we can um how we can live under a capitalist system and alleviate suffering uh preventable human suffering so that's what this um that's what this episode's about you'll see the title is suffering affluence and morality and those are the three themes that i try and unpack each of them individually and then tie them together in some kind of claim about how we ought to be behaving um yeah so this uh the audio that you'll hear is recorded and was originally recorded as a youtube video which i'll also post um so yeah, I have a YouTube channel as well. Um, so if you want to watch the video in uh, live, if you want to see my face and stuff, maybe you don't want to see my face. If you want to see my face, go on YouTube if you're happy with the podcast. <laughs> That's cool. Anyway, um, enjoy the episode. Bye. And the focus of this essay is to try and demonstrate the reasons why we ought to think about um, morality in such a way that people who have 
great access to capital have greater responsibility for alleviating the suffering of others, the preventable suffering of others, because that's what money can do now. And that was written a while ago. That was written in uh, 1972. And that was like 40 years ago, 50 years ago. Um, yeah. So think about how much has changed. Um, and this this kind of thinking by Peter Singh has pioneered these changes. So that's what I'm going to explore today. Okay, so I mentioned a word and that word was utilitarianism. Um, and some of you may know what this refers to, but maybe some of you don't. So I'm just going to, and for the sake of refreshing everyone's minds, including my own, um, I'm going to try um, to briefly summarize what utilitarianism is. Um, so I guess utilitarianism is a strain of ethical and moral philosophy. It's kind of an umbrella term for a whole, for many different ways of thinking. Um, and so moral philosophy and ethics, obviously try and I guess their focus is to try and determine and define what is good and what is bad or what is good. And then if we know what is good, you know, we can just kind of look at what is good and then we'll have an image of what is bad. So the utilitarian believes that the decisions which we should deem to be good or worthy of being done are the things which maximize pleasure or happiness or satisfaction or well-being for the greatest number of people Um, or just for the greatest number. I guess the greatest number of people is if you're thinking about utilitarianism with respect to humans. Um, Peter Singer pioneered the animal welfare, animal rights movement. And so he kind of extended utilitarian philosophy to other sentient beings. So maximizing pleasure for the greatest number can also include animals and things that can have experiences of pleasure and pain. Um, okay. So that's utilitarianism, I guess, just for the sake of kind of adding to the knowledge pool around moral philosophy, the second, so utilitarianism is one of the two big kind of branches of ethics of moral philosophy. Um, the other thing is the other strain is called deontology. Now, what is deontology? Um, deontology refers to, it's, it's kind of like a bit murkier than, um, utilitarianism, at least in my opinion. Um, at least it's, it's murkier in terms of how able <laughs> I feel to define it. Um, so the deontologist believes has a belief system and then they are governed. Their conception of what is good is determined by that belief system. So an example of a deontologist is Immanuel Kant. Um, Kant had these things called the categorical imperatives, which he believed were um, these things that were self-evidently good and self-evidently true, like, um, yeah, like stuff like, you know, don't, don't lie, uh, don't steal because, you know, and then there are these certain maxims that we're supposed to apply to them. So like, don't steal because if everyone stole, it would be a very bad world to live in. Don't lie because if everyone lied, it would be a very bad world to live in. But obviously, um, you know, there are exceptions to this, like 
you know, if I need to lie to save my life, obviously, you know, the deontology is going to adapt around it and include my capacity to lie in it as being the thing which is good because it's saving my life. But then it kind of, you see, it moves towards utilitarianism because is it taking life to be intrinsically valuable? Probably. Um, I mean, I don't know of too many people apart from like (laughs) Jordan Peterson who are so convinced. Oh, no, actually, I guess he just says that life is eternal suffering, which is pretty silly. But um, yeah, uh, I guess utilitarianism, Peter Singer believes that life has an intrinsic value and that the thing that contributes to our experience, the thing that makes us enjoy our lives are things which are pleasurable. And now pleasure has weird connotations because you think of, you know, kinky sexual things or whatever. Um, uh, and, and you think of hedonism and I actually did a, I've done an episode on hedonism. It's on YouTube. Uh, I don't think there's actually a video. Um, but there's audio and it's also on my podcast. Now I think that was a really cool episode. So if I were you, I would go and listen to it. Um, maybe after this, but yeah, briefly. So I'm throwing all of this information at you because I want to kind of set the foundations for discussing the themes in this essay. Um, yeah. So hedonism is kind of the, uh, principle that, um, what is good is what makes is what is productive of pleasure. Um, so basically in, in like in a very, very crude form, the hedonist believes that like, if doing X makes me happy or makes me feel good, I should do X. And like, obviously there'd be very few people who actually believe that because it's a whole lot more nuanced than that. You have to think about the consequences of things. You know, what does it do to others? What does it do to your body in the long term? Whatever. Um, okay. So there we go. There's the kind of foundations of utilitarianism over here on one hand, deontology on the other hand, and then a strain of utilitarianism, which is called hedonism. Um, okay. Now let's return to the essay. So the essay is called famine, affluence, and morality. And the reason why it's called famine, affluence, and morality is because Peter Singer and I believe that I said I as if I'm, you know, some, I also contributed to the essay. I didn't, I wasn't even born. Um, but yeah, Peter Singer believes that the things which ought to inform our morality, well, one of the things which ought to inform our morality is the level of affluence of our level of affluence. Um, and maybe you've heard people talk about effective altruism, um, I guess this is kind of new, new ish. It's something that was inspired by Peter Singer. It's a movement in inverted commas, a movement that, um, he is involved with, and it's something that he has directly influenced. Um, so effective altruism is one way that I think perfectly encapsulates what the claim of this essay is. Um, so the relationship between famine, affluence, and morality or suffering affluence and morality is that the person is that people who have, is that affluent people under capitalism, people who have succeeded in the system ought to take certain steps to give to those who are suffering, um, 
Okay, so what do I mean by that? I mean that if you are someone like if you have if you are wealthy, okay, so if you have enough money um, that you are comfortable in your everyday life, um, and that you have the choice of indulging in things like, let's say you have a pair of Nike trainers, and you and they're brand new and they feel really good and then balenciaga releases a new pair of trainers and you have enough money to afford the balenciaga trainers you have enough money to buy 10 of them um and so you buy one of them and you you buy it because you want something i don't know you buy it for a number of reasons but you're not buying it presumably you're not buying it because of its utility um you're not buying it because you don't have shoes. You already have shoes. You have those Nike trainers. And surely surely they serve the function that you actually need, right? Like you only you need shoes to protect your feet from the ground. Um and to protect your feet from other things. Um and then the second and the third and the fourth and the fifth pair of shoes just kind of spiral you off down this weird pathway of consumption and overconsumption and overconsumption um and this is this is something that is very important for peter singer and for me as well um so in my decision making not like i'm trying to you know situate myself as being this kind of you know bastion of 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 completely of perfect moral behavior or something but i try very hard to think about what i need um and then when i buy things if I, when I, when I am going to buy things, I think about whether I actually need them. And that may, that may sound trivial, but I assure you, most people don't think that most people who have money probably don't think that, um, like, look at, like, think about all of these weird artificial, like celebration holidays. We have like black Friday or cyber Monday, or, you know, we have like, um, boxing day and we have like, all of these different sales on like, you know, Mother's Day, Father's Day, like buy chocolate, buy a lot of chocolate on Easter. Um, you know, there are all of these kind of, there are like, we've been, our culture is, is sculpted around consumption. Um, and this is a problem because it's not just sculpted around consumption. It's sculpted around excessive and conspicuous consumption. Um, And what I mean by that is there is this practice of like, you know, people, many people, um, many people, including myself once upon a time, were very caught up in brands and uh, image and, um, you know, trying to give off the uh, illusion of being, you know, you know, people like to, I, I guess I pay attention to my appearance. Like, I'm not saying that I don't, but my claim is that like, yeah, it's, there's a point at which it clearly becomes excessive, um, and unnecessary. And that point is actually very low. So it doesn't take much to get to the point where consumption becomes unnecessary in my opinion. Um, yeah. And like, I, I have too many pairs of shoes. Um, I'm guilty of that. Um, and it makes me feel guilty. Um, and so 
one thing that I've tried to do is to sell them or to give them away. Um, the ones that I don't wear. Um, and yeah, you know, I, I'm trying to configure my consumption practices so that I don't feel like I want to buy another pair of shoes every few months or something. Um, okay. So why, like, why is this actually important though? Why does it matter? Why is overconsumption bad? Um, so neglecting the neglecting an entire argument about the environmental footprint of supporting, you know, fast fashion and, um, people working in factories and being paid, uh, next to nothing. Um, so putting that aside, it's bad because, okay, I'll, I'll use different language. It's immoral because you could save lives with that money. Um, so I don't know, a pair of Balenciaga trainers cost a thousand Australian dollars, something like that. Why do I know that? Because I know someone who bought a pair. Um, not because I wanted to buy a pair. Um, and a thousand dollars is a lot of money. Um, in this essay, Peter Singer says that for $2, you can buy a malaria net. Um, and with a malaria net, well, a malaria net not lasts for three years, up to three years. Um, and a malaria net obviously prevents people from being bitten by things that carry that mis- from mosquitoes that um, carry malaria um, in their sleep or during the day. Um, and so they cost two dollars. So for the same pair of Balenciaga sneakers, one pair of shoes that go on your feet when you probably already have shoes that serve the function and maybe already look cool and, you know, give you the kind of social credit or social esteem that you're trying, that you're striving to gain the social capital or whatever. Um, you can save, you can potentially save 500 people's lives. Um, by buying 500 malaria nets or a thousand people's lives, because what if it's a couple or more? What if it's a family? Um, and that, that is, that is the equation. And this is super, I I don't want to reduce the kind of, um, the kind of philosophical sophistication of this essay down to one sentence, but down to one equation, but that that's the equation that singer wants us to think about um is like a thousand dollars equals 500 malaria nets or a thousand dollars equals one pair of shoes for you when you already have a pair of shoes or when you already have multiple pairs of shoes um yeah and that which way you decide to go. So whether you decide to go towards a pair of shoes or whether you decide to give to charity, that is where you either act morally or act immorally. Um, And I don't believe there's, I really don't think that people should be striving to be amoral in this situation. So neither give to charity nor buy shoes. Um, I think it's as bad as buying the shoes. Uh, actually, no, that's not true because I guess buying the shoes 
you need to think about the now now i okay so in that instance i would present a i guess an environmental argument um you know what what are the ethics of the business that you're supporting um how well do they pay their workers whatever um anyway that's like i don't know i don't really know too many people who i feel like the issue isn't people being amoral as in not having morals the issue is people choosing to consume excessively when they could use that privilege to alleviate the suffering of others. And so, okay, this is another very important thing. Um, the idea of suffering. So Singer defines suffering. Okay. So he has a very clear image of suffering in mind, and that is suffering that is preventable. So, um, either suffering is preventable by cure or by surgery, like um, cleft lip. If you have a, a cleft lip, if you're born with a cleft lip, the surgery uh, is relatively inexpensive um, and it can save you from a lot of suffering. You know, if you have uh, a mouth that's open or a part of your mouth that's revealed the whole time, I imagine, yeah, you know, you're exposed to pathogens a lot more because you just have you know, your immune system is exposed. Your body is exposed in a way that it wouldn't be if your mouth was closed. Um, yeah. And yeah. So, so these are preventable kinds of suffering and they are relatively inexpensive to prevent. Um, and so Singer's claim is that under capitalism, where the system favors, favors certain kinds of people. So capitalism is geographyist so it seems to favor uh well yeah like big cities um like think about the uk like pretty much all of the money in the uk is situated in london um i imagine that the majority of the money in australia is situated between melbourne and sydney um yeah like silicon valley in uh los angeles uh, no in san francisco california there's an extreme, you know, Tesla, Microsoft, uh, Tesla, Apple, Google, um, Facebook, uh, YouTube, whatever. All of these companies originated from the dub, the www.boom, I guess that began in Silicon Valley. Um, so yeah, there are these, there are all of these forces that are on your back, holding you back from succeeding in the under the capitalist model, unless you kind of manage to somehow sliver your way into one of these positions of privilege that gives you access to climbing. Obviously, it's not as simple as that. Like, um, yeah, various people have different theories about what it takes to survive under capital to sorry, to survive, I guess it is surviving, but to um, thrive or succeed under capitalism. Um, And you know, it's a competition based system. And by virtue of it being a competition, I guess it means that some people, um, well, yeah, like I've got an anxious, very anxious disposition. And I guess I felt at times like that's got in the way of my performance in under pressure, like exams and things and exams are important for getting a job. Um, because you know, you need now everyone needs to get a degree to get a job and then everyone gets a degree and then you need some more qualifications. And then, yeah, so there's just, there's so much, there's so, there's so many different forces that we have to overcome in order to get money. Right. Um, and 
I am one of the lucky ones. Um, I am, um, yeah, I have a roof over my head. Um, I live in inner city Melbourne. Um, I was raised in inner city Melbourne. Um, I've gone to, I guess I worked hard, but I managed to go to some really great universities. Um, this isn't me boasting, but this is just me trying to suggest some of the things that um, render me as someone who uh, is required if if money is something that I begin to generate to think about um, directing it to places where I can prevent suffering. And that is something that I really, really, really do care about. Um, it is... It is an unspeakable injustice that um, there are people in this world. There are there are people in this world who control. Uh, I don't know twenty percent, top twenty percent. What's that? There's some weird economic distribution that I heard um, one of my friends who does economy talk about, um, who studies economics. What's it called? The Pareto distribution. Um, and that is that like 80% of the money is controlled by 20% of the population. So we have this, we have these, we have suffering and we have affluence. Um, and Singer develops, oh, well, effective altruism, which is something that I mentioned earlier seeks to provide a structure for people to alleviate the suffering of people, um, alleviate, un, alleviate preventable suffering. So the effective altruists are people who earn a lot of money or come from a lot of money and donate a significant amount of their income. So they donate. So this is something that in, in this essay, Singer provides us with this interesting kind of, uh, I guess it's, yeah, he, he gets us to do some kind of men mental calculus. And he says, it is the moral thing to do in a situation is to prevent suffering by giving money insofar as you giving money isn't an equivalent form of suffering. So I guess what he means is if you're going to, if you are, if you decide that, you know, saving lives by, um, or minimizing suffering by, you know, supporting charities is something that you want to do, you know, you don't sell your, you don't make yourself, you don't put yourself on the street. You don't make yourself homeless by giving away all of your money. That's not what he's asking you to do. Um, and he's not even asking, he, I guess, yeah, he's saying give as much as, give as much as you can, but only so much, only as much as, um, only, only so much that it allows you to continue living a, a comfortable life. Um, and so Singer himself actually gives away, I don't know, 60, 70% of his income, something like that. Um, but you know, he still lives a really good life. Um, he lives in, I don't know, in Melbourne, he works at Melbourne university and Princeton. Um, he's like a, 
a, an esteemed professor at both of them. So presumably his salary is pretty big. Um, I imagine he, he wears vegan clothes because he's vegan. Vegan clothes probably aren't cheap. Maybe he buys them recycled, but he does all of these things. And I imagine he's, he's kind of undergone some quasi Buddhist, um, like transformation in terms of being able to silence or, uh, kind of postpone desires for material gain. Actually, that's probably not even true. I don't even think it would be that with him. I think because I've met him and like, I've spent time around him and, um, I like have, yeah, I guess, uh, he, he believes that I guess the place where he derives value is from like acts of charity, I imagine. Um, he thinks that what contributes to, he probably thinks that what contributes to his well-being is alleviating, is maximizing the well-being of others. Um, and that, that sounds like a pretty reasonable claim. Um, so yeah, um, that's, that's a discussion of the theories, uh, of, of this essay. Um, so I guess to recap, um, the things that you, that like, I'd be thinking about and the things that I've thought about are how much is it reasonable for me to give as like a student who is currently unemployed um how much okay and I'm going to do an episode on just effective altruism um but under the effective altruist movement there is a push for people to do things that they're very good at, even if they're very immoral so that they can get a lot of money and then alleviate a lot of suffering. So one of Peter's, yeah, like if you're a really good, if you're really good at maths and you get into like actuarial studies and you become an actuary person, that's, it's like a really niche area of economics and you earn like you're offered a job that pays like a million dollars on wall street or you're offered a job at greenpeace or oxfam that doesn't require the same level of expertise and mastery over things and doesn't pay anywhere near as much um you choose according to the effective altruists you choose wall street and you get a million dollars and you give away nine hundred thousand because the good that you can do from giving away 900,000 to charities that are extremely effective. And I guess Singer has a website, I think it's called um, The Life You Can Save, although that's maybe that's the name of his book, but there's a website um, which kind of has got, I don't know, 15 or 20 charities that are, that are extremely good at what they do. And, you know, um, some charities like World Vision have been criticized for only actually giving, you know, seven cents or something like that for every dollar that's donated to the actual cause. Um, so I guess he, Singer created an organization that uh, kind of breaks down the expenses of charities. Because, you know, obviously, if you give a, a single dollar to a charity, it's not just going to directly funnel that into the... Like it's not, you're not, it's not like you're sending a dollar all the way over the world to another place. Like, you know, there are admin costs. They have people who they employ. 
They have to pay electricity. People need to eat who work for the charity. So yeah, I guess he's done it. Yeah. Anyway, I'm sure you get what I mean. Um, So yeah, that's a very interesting ethical question. Like, do you go to Wall Street? And if you can't, do you go to Wall Street and earn a lot of money um, and then give it away? If that's something that, if that's an opportunity that you're presented with. Anyway, that's all. Um, If you enjoyed this episode, uh, like it on YouTube, subscribe um, on YouTube. If you're listening to this as a podcast, um, give me a review on Apple Podcasts or something. Tell a friend. Um, Yeah, and if you really enjoy the podcast and you want to, or you really enjoy this video and you want me to keep going, um, there's a thing called Patreon. And that allows you to become a patron of the podcast and yeah, pledge whatever you like. Um, And that'd be cool. Uh, And that's a very weird thing to be talking about after an episode about, um, you know, giving to charity and stuff. But I guess to fit this into this model, um, the idea in this essay and in this episode has been to illustrate something that needs to fit into our decision-making, which is what is actually maximizing our well-being, um, and what can we reasonably allow to fit into the equation of what maximizes our personal well-being. Um, so if you listen to my episode on hedonism or watch my video on hedonism, There, I kind of go through this in more detail, but there are some pleasures in inverted commas that seem to be a bit murkier or seem to be less reasonable than other pleasures. So I don't know. I feel it sounds like I'm backpedaling and I've dug myself a grave, but you know, yeah. Um, Cool. If you like the podcast, that's cool. Anyway, bye. See you next time.